Pamela Cook writes fiction set in places you want to escape to and books that will keep you turning the page. Her novels feature tangled family relationships, the ups and downs of friendship, and they explore issues like grief and loss, belonging and love. Welcome, Pamela. I know something exciting that's coming up. You are running a course in May and it's called Turn Up the Tension. Tell me about this amazing course. So this is a course that I have taught quite a few times now already through uh, Writing New South Wales. I've taught it at the RWA, Romance Writers of Australia conference. And it's a course that always has been really well received, has really helped their writing, helped get, you know, reader engagement. That And the whole idea of it is to get the reader turning a page. So mm. um, I just decided that the format that I'd been teaching it in didn't really allow me to go deep enough with each of the sections, which are now turned into individual modules. So uh, I've kind of taken it back and I'm running it myself and I've um, got eight modules and all of them are quite in-depth on each topic that I cover. And, yeah, I'm running it online because I've found that, you know, especially over the last couple of years with Zoom, people getting so used to doing things online, that's become a really convenient way of people, you know, doing courses and being able to do it from anywhere. doesn't matter Mm. where they live, really. Absolutely. I like that, that anyone can access it no matter where you live. And I also like that you can just wear your pyjamas, you can get your cup of tea and you can learn. So eight weeks, that's pretty intense. Tell me what you're going to learn over that time period. We start with openings and creating that really great hook at the beginning so that the reader is definitely going to want to read on right from the very first sentence. Then we go on to look at uh, characterization. We look at plot. So these are all separate modules. Fourth module is structure, and then we go on to look at scenes and and creating tension within a scene and then really getting down to the nitty-gritty of sentence structure, word choice, and with a special little focus on writing sex scenes because that's something that often comes Ooh. up for people as uh, <laughs> being something that, you know, can be quite tricky So and getting tension in there as well and, and the emotional tension, really focusing on that. But I do use um, lots and lots of examples. So each week, you know, there are... are four, five, sometimes more examples that I take across different genres so that, you know, I'm trying to cater to people who are writing across a whole lot of different genres and using examples from books. Yeah, that sounds amazing. And you're talking about creating tension for the reader, but I reckon this is really important when you're submitting as well, because I think publishers are going to want that hook straight away too, right? Absolutely. You know, and I've actually got, so I've I've got one cohort going through currently and a couple of the people who are in that group specifically have joined because they said, you know, they've had really good comments from publishers, but one of the comments has been uh, just not grabbing me enough, just Mm -hmm. not enough tension there. So uh, yeah, that is something I think that publishers and agents too, of course, really look for when they're they're looking for people's uh, manuscripts. And, you know, doesn't matter whether the reader is an agent, a publisher, or, you know, a reader picking your book up off the shelf, you want to be able to engage them right from the very beginning. Yeah, absolutely. There's nothing better than picking up that book at 6pm and not being able to put it down till 3am, right? We've all done that. And they're like, yeah. how am I supposed to function the next day? But it's totally worth it. Now, I want to ask you, who is this course designed for? So the course is designed for people who have a completed manuscript. Now, when I say that, I mean, you know, at least one draft is finished from the beginning to the end because I always believe you never really know the beginning of your story until you get to the end. And also because we do look at those big picture things like overall plot, structure, you know, the the kind of really whole story type things, you really need to have that full manuscript to get the most out of the course. So that's, that's who I've designed it for. Mm, I love that. And then you've got a lot to work with, don't you? And so is there homework in between those modules? 
There is. So one thing that I've asked people uh, joining the course to do is to choose what I'm calling a model text, where it's a book from their genre that they kind of think, wow, this is the kind of book I want to write, or I really, this book really grabbed me. And so each week there's one exercise where you look at, it might be a scene or it might be the opening or, or some excerpt from that, that model text that you've chosen and do a little bit of an analysis. I think I'm going back to my high school English teacher days there. Um, and the other exercise is a writing exercise where you look at something from your own, um, you know, manuscript, whether that could be rewriting a scene using what you've learned in the module or analysing a scene, uh, either or. But, yeah, so one model text and one uh, writing exercise each week. Mm, I really like that. I love the idea of also picking something from the genre you're writing within and then looking at that, you know, how you want to write because then you're looking at where your book might sit on the shelf with other books that already are published and that's really important. Sometimes it's really important to publishers as well. Definitely. You know, they often will ask you what are the comp titles, what are the books yeah. that you feel that it is like, you know, or that readers that like these books will also like your book. So I think it's good to know where your book sits within that genre for sure yeah absolutely now i know you are very supportive of emerging writers which is you know we're very grateful for that what advice would you give an emerging writer oh so many things <laughs> i could give <laughs> but yeah i think probably harking back to what i said a little earlier and that is to finish your manuscript before you start submitting anywhere because i have had in the past you know people i've done mentoring with or you know emerging or aspiring writers will talk to me and say oh you know, I've got five great chapters, I'm getting really good feedback on them, should I start submitting? And I always say, no, please hold off, because for that reason that so much can change by the time you get to the end of the manuscript. Every time you write a new scene or a chapter, you're learning something more. And by the time you get to the end of it, it could be a completely different book. So mm. my advice, uh, big advice there would be to really hold off submitting anything um, unless, you know, sometimes it could be some kind of, men, you know, mentoring thing where they just ask for three chapters or, or something like that. In that case, it's fine, but definitely not just a general submission to a publisher or agent before you've finished that draft and worked on it. You know, like writing is really rewriting, as we've all heard that mantra many times, and that's definitely the truth. You know, you, you have to have multiple revisions before you can really get it to where you mm. want it to be. Agree, absolutely. So this course kicks off for eight weeks on May 10. Where do we access it? How much is it? Any other information you want to give us? Yeah, okay. So there are kind of limited numbers because the other part of the course is that each week I'll do a Zoom call with the people in the group so that you will uh, and two people each week submit roughly around 500 words and I critique it and then we talk about it in the Zoom call. So you are getting bits of feedback as well from me and from the group. Um, so I'm taking somewhere between eight and 12 in each group that go through. And the other thing is you have lifetime access to the course. So you can always go back, you know, if you get, if life gets a bit busy and you just can't finish a module in that week or whatever, you can go back at any time and revise it or redo it or, or, you know, fit it into your own schedule. The course is $5.99 generally, but at the moment, uh, $4.99 early bird price until April 10. And you can also pay in a couple of instalments. Um, and if anyone has any questions at all, they can email me at Pamela at PamelaCook.com.au.
Hi, and welcome to Words and Nerds. Now, clearly, I'm not your host, Danny V. My name is actually Deb Prinkle, and I'm here today with my friend Cassie Polymeni. Um, Cassie and I are both emerging picture book authors. Um, we're both kind of wearing podcast L plates today, um, but we also both really love talking about picture books and the writing process. Um, and as critique buddies, we've actually been sharing our journey to publication um, with each other for a while now. So we thought, basically, why not take it to the airwaves and specifically Words and Nerds? Hi, Cassie. That's it. Hi. How are you going? I'm pretty good. Pretty good. Um, now, Deb and I both have new picture books that are out in April. Um, they're both two very different books, but they have overlapping themes of travel, adventure, relationships and everyday magic. So we thought it might be interesting to talk a bit about those themes, how our books came to be and our experiences of the writing and publishing processes as new authors. But speaking of us as new authors, we realised that um, we probably do need to do a bit of a, a bit of an intro of each of us because who on earth are we? Um, so Cassie Polymeni is a former travel writer and magazine editor. Her debut picture book is The Garden at the End of the World, which is the beautiful book that we're talking about today. Um, and it's illustrated by Bryony Stewart and out now with UQP. Cassie also writes Middle Grade and YA and last year won an Australian Society of Authors Copyright Australia mentorship to develop a contemporary middle grade novel set in Northern Norway, of which I have some questions about too because I detect a bit, of a, a bit of a Northern European theme with your book so far, Cassie. <laughs> there is a bit of an accidental theme. Um, but let me introduce you to Deb. Deborah Frankel is an advertising copywriter by day, but writer for kids by night. Her picture book, The Sydney Harbour Ferry, is out with a firm press now and is illustrated by Kate James. It's her second picture book following on from her non-fiction picture book, Metropolis, which was out in 2022. And there's a few more in the pipeline. Cool. So that's us. Um, Cassie, I think we might, um, can we hop onto your book first, The Garden at the End of the World? Absolutely. Amazing. Let's do it. Um, do you want to do you want to start with the the kind of elevator pitch summary for it in case um I'm sure there's people listening who haven't seen it yet? Sure, I've been I've been working on this. The Garden at the End of the World is a fairy tale adventure to the real life global seed vault in Svalbard, Norway. It's about a girl and her botanist mother who make a discovery in the forest near their home and go on a mission to deliver it to the global seed vault to keep their treasure safe for children who haven't even been born yet. And it is such a beautiful book. Congratulations. It's absolutely the most um the most stunning book to to see and to read the words um so you should be super proud of yourself Cassie Thank it's you. really beautiful one question I want to I want to start with um was even in your summary there's something that really leaps out to me which is that um the whole idea of going to Norway in a picture book feels like a really unusual thing for a, a picture book written by an Australian author and illustrated by an Australian illustrator um there's such a, a vivid and compelling sense of place that you've set up in this book. Um, it, we start somewhere clearly in Australia, but then pretty quickly we travel to the icy and dark Arctic circles where you describe the waves of emerald light filling the sky. And I feel like this is really unusual because picture books normally kind of exist in this really domestic or really suburban or maybe the schoolyard um, kind of setting. But I have never seen a picture book that's set in Norway or Svalbard. Um, where did that come from? Um, I haven't actually been there, but when I was in my 20s, uh, I did a student exchange to a university in northern Norway. Um, and it was, for me, it was, a, it was a kind of out of the blue opportunity and it definitely made an impression in a lot of ways. The landscape, the people, the experience of travelling, um, you know, this was the first time I'd been away kind of on my own. Um, so there were so many ways that that sort of lodged itself, I guess, in my head. So I've always had a bit of a, um, a fixation with Norway. There's also a lot of 
really interesting uh, progressive policies they had. I remember going there and it was the first time I'd seen five different kinds of recycling bins lined up and this was in 2004, wow. 2005 when I think we maybe had two in Australia. <laughs> um, so there was just I was just aware of the ways that um, there's progressive social policies, environmental policies, and just being this really beautiful place. Um, so Svalbard is actually uh, 1,200 kilometres north of Nor northern Norway, although it is part of Norway, and it's heading towards the North Pole. The Global Seed Vault didn't exist when I was there and it was built years later. Um, but, yeah, I... I the research I did for it was all online. It was during lockdown. Um, so I was watching a lot of documentaries, reading a lot about it, um, which felt like a very nice thing to be doing in 2020 was a bit of armchair yeah, travel. Definitely. Yeah, right. And then how how did you go from that, from that personal experience and, and you know, lockdown documentaries to writing a picture book? Well, um, the actual, so I actually found out about the Global Sea Vault via an episode of Destination Flavour on SBS. And that was some of our, <laughs> our lockdown viewing. It is, it, it, well, it is a good, my husband is obsessed with food shows and he was always telling me about this one. He knew this would hook me in because it was set in Norway. So I said, okay, I'll watch. Yeah. What else are we going to do in, in lockdown? Um, so in this episode, it was a Scandinavian episode. Adam Liao is cooking and eating his way around. Um, and he actually goes and visits the Global Sea Vault and gets to go inside. And it just, it blew my mind. I sort of was like, can we just, yeah, wow. oh, this place exists. This is incredible. This is like a, an Aladdin's cave hidden in the mountain, um, it's in this this stunning landscape, there are reindeers, there are polar bears, and the whole reason this place exists is for the good of humanity. It was funded by the Norwegian government and um, and every country that wants to can contribute to it. So I just thought this is, um, it, it was a, a real spark for me of like this is a magical place, even though yeah, it's Yeah, it's a, almost, I guess, one of those stranger than fiction truths yeah. to start from. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and how did you end up putting it in a picture book? What What inspired you to think that it would make a great story for kids? Yeah, I um I guess I'd been during that time I'd been uh I'd always written um but I'd been writing sort of adult and YA stuff up until the last probably 2018 or so and I'd been doing a lot of courses in kids writing. I also had a young daughter who was 2 at the time, so I my head was in that space. Um I wanted to write about it straight away but I didn't know what form it would take. I had played with it in a few different longer and older formats as well. Um but I, I think I just decided to, it was, a, it was an experimentation process. I decided to try it as a picture book and that was the one that kind of grabbed me and that was the one yeah. I kept trying to develop. Because it, it really works as a picture book. Um, in a way, um, I think the story is beautiful, but the added layer that um, Bryony is able to, to add to it in the illustrations is one of those things where you look at it and you go, this makes so much sense as a picture book because your yeah. visual communication that's going on in line with the words is, is so beautifully balanced. Um, one of the things that I noticed looking at the illustrations is that there's actually, um, and maybe you can talk about this, there's actually a concept that Bryony has put into the illustrations in terms of the media that she's chosen to use. And it's, as a reader, it's a really interesting um, addition to the book because I think you look at the pages and then you you realise perhaps on a second or a third reading that there's actually more going on visually than, than perhaps met the eye at the beginning. Do you want to just talk about that a bit? Yes, yeah, there's there's a lot more going on. Um, Yeah, illustrators are incredible and that is one of the things we've talked about so many times about how much they can add to a picture book and add to the story mm. and elevate it and add layers. Um, So the, the two things she did, I, I was really intrigued to see what she came up with because she's such a versatile illustrator too and she does a lot of, if you're not already following her on Instagram, do give her a follow because she does a lot of behind-the-scenes processes on the book she's working on. So I loved watching mm. that unfold. She experimented early on with different ways to do it and she landed on um, drawing the characters with charcoal because it's made from plants, so 
burnt wood, hey, which I thought was yeah. great. And then the the other feature um, was the the cyanotypes, which is this very old photographic printing process um, that was invented in the 1800s and you use a treated paper that reacts to UV light and you can actually buy these if you want to try it at home. I think you can get them from um, from the store but you can mm. create it yourself using the chemicals. And then I recognised you... it. I used them as a kid in little yeah. art sets and so on. Yeah. 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 I think Bryony had the same. She said it was a sort of a nostalgic thing as well. But um, yeah. So what she did was she went out. She collected um, you know, little little plants and flowers and and sea grasses and things like that. Superimposed them on the paper. You then have to expose them to UV light, and they come away with this really vibrant blue and the white kind of contrast. And then she layered that into the illustrations. And the reason she did that for these, so the plants are all shown like. It's like Isla's Isla, the main character is imagining them growing out of the vault. And of course, the vault is mm. it's literally in a frozen mountain. It's seeds that are that are stored mm. um, in extreme temperatures. So there are no no plants. It's the possibility of plants and what they can be. And she wanted to show that that was imagination. So she wanted a different style than she'd been using for the real plants in the forest near their home. She wanted to show something different. It's really beautiful to me. It's almost like this kind of chorus of like ghostly plants yeah. that kind of yeah. you know appear here and there. Um, it's really, really beautiful, and I wish I wish podcast was a visual medium, yes. but um, everyone's just going to have to, I guess, go and buy the book. Um, one of the things you've touched on is is magic, um, and I'm I just wanted to read like a, a little bit of the book because um, I think it it sets up some of the themes really beautifully. At the end of the world, halfway between Norway and the North Pole, is an island covered in ice. On the island is a mountain. Inside the mountain is a vault, and inside the vault are millions of seeds. Are they magic seeds? Isla asks. And I think, I thought this was such a beautiful exchange. Um, and it, I guess it kind of sets up one of the central central themes, which is that you kind of convey that kind of child sense of enchantment um, and that kind of realm where sort of the real life and the fantastical converge. Um, and there's, you know, there's just kind of magic infused throughout, throughout Isla's perception of the world. Um, and I wanted to know, um, it made me think about your bio and your, your travel writing experience. Um, is that your is that the travel writer in you coming out? Because I I feel like there's perhaps some common commonalities in terms of the point of view in that. Yeah, maybe it is a little bit. I think um, I I it's definitely something I look for. It's something I love about kids' books and about the way kids see the world too. So having a young child and seeing the way you know you walk down the street and their perspective of what they're seeing and and touching and guessing of what it could be is so magical and so caught up in fantasy um, and, and I love that. And it's, it is something obviously that, that fades for us and I do think it's something that comes back for me or did come back for me when I was travelling more, which is something I haven't done for a while. Um, but when you're in a, an unfamiliar place, it can snap you back into that um, that sort of childlike magic. And But, I mean, as, as I've just said, mm. it can also happen when you're sitting on the couch watching, being exposed to something you kind of haven't seen or thought about before. Um but it is something that sort of, yeah, that gives me a little spark and, yeah, perhaps that is why uh, travel writing appealed to me and why travelling appealed and, and just why, yeah, listening to a piece of music or watching a movie that exposes you to an outside viewpoint that kind of it's different enough from your norm that it kind of lights a little fire or a little spark of... Yeah, yeah. It, it jolts things yeah. around a bit. Yeah. I mean, I think it, in a way there was a lot about this book that to me felt like a fairy tale, but also the, the fact that it's underlined by, you know, the, the non-fiction back matter that says, oh, this is a real place is really interesting because it's it's like this kind of magical fairy tale place that actually exists, which is really, um, really cool. 
And I guess I guess the other thing that following yeah. on from that that I wanted to mention is that um, there's something in it that I think probably the adults who are I mean it's the picture book so likely is likelihood is that the adult is reading a book with a child next to them um, and I think the adults might potentially pick up on the fact that there's actually kind of a, a big and scary shadow going on in this book which I think underlines the magic in a way and that's that um, that the seed bank at Svalbard um, from a practical point of view actually exists as like a giant insurance policy for the world in case we have some kind of um, apocalyptic scenario where um, we need to draw on these seeds to to eat and to to use um, I think it's um, I think from what I'd read it's also known as the doomsday vault um, as, as kind of one of the other um, ways mm. that it's referenced um, and I think even I guess your title the garden at the end of the world has a bit of a dull meaning in it um, in that it's at the very end you know furthest reaches of the world yeah. but um, it kind of, you know, is potentially the garden at the end of time or so. And, I mean, I just read your book and I was like, this is climate change in a picture book and I've never seen that before. Um, there's even this kind of exchange um, between Isla and her mum about how Norway at one stage wasn't always cold. It was a tropical swampland 300 and something million years ago. Um, 60, I think. 360 million years ago, thank you. So, I mean, you, you've even literally, like, put climate change right into their dialogue. Um and I find this really interesting because I've often wondered to myself, is it possible to write climate fiction or cli-fi in a picture book? Um, is this it, do you think? And if so, how do you decide what to include and what not to include? Yeah, it's a really good question because it, it isn't something I set out to do at the beginning. It was it was very much that little spark of wonder that started the story. And I only really thought of it as cli-fi when, when we were having that discussion about, about cli-fi and picture books. But, mm. I mean, the, there is an element of that. I think it's probably really hard now in a way to write about nature or about sometimes even the way we move through the world outside of like a really urban environment without there being a passing reference to it because it is so... so right. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, but I, it, it wasn't something I sort of consciously did. And interestingly, when um, when this manuscript was picked up or before it was picked up, one of the changes um, the publisher, Claire Hume at, at UQP, requested was the, the very final line originally um, was something along the lines of, of the tiny, tiny little seeds. Isla was marvelling at how small they were. And um, her mother said, well, it's enough to start again, which I just thought was a poetic line. But Claire mm. pointed out, and she's very right, it's actually, that's quite dark and that's quite that's quite scary, yeah. Concept, yeah. Yeah, for kids to have to get their head around. So th th that was probably one of the biggest changes was um, was sort of tweaking that ending so that we are kind of conveying this information but but conveying the, you know, the right amount, the, the sort of useful amount, the mm. hopeful amount. I mean, this place is, the fact that this place exists is there is hope in that? Um, yeah, completely. That's a really positive thing. So that which is something that has to come through in in books for kids, especially. Um, but it's also something I think I'm learning as a parent is how much information do you pass on and when and how? Um, and I've done a bit of reading since about kind of all different issues, not just climate change, but even things like grief and and loss. How do you um, how do you explain those to children in a way that is not, you know, going to be devastating or crippling, but is going to be helpful and useful and um, and is still the truth. So, yeah. Yeah, it's really interesting. I mean, I think one thing that you've done that's beautiful is that you've ended the book with some non-fiction notes, which I then I think give the, you know, the parent and the child who are reading it together a starting point to then perhaps, you know, delve in deeper if the child wants to, if the parent feels mm -hmm. it's appropriate. Um, so it's almost like it's a real kind of starting point for conversation. 
um, which is really great. One thing I did want to ask you, you mentioned the process of um, talking to, to Claire at UQP before it was signed. How did the, I mean, I know that obviously probably a lot of people who listen to this podcast um, would love to know about how the nuts and bolts of, you know, getting a publishing contract and how that whole process panned out. So how did this end up getting picked up by UQP? Yeah, well, this is like a, probably a lot of publishing stories. It's this one isolated incident that I can only learn from this experience <laughs> and may never be repeated. Um, but in this case, it was, uh, there was a pitching competition that came up around the time I was writing it. Um, and I actually put the pitch together as an exercise before I even finished the story. I had a very rough draft, but I put the pitch together sort of a, as a way of focusing the story and as an artificial deadline, because that, that often helps me get things done. Um, so I entered that competition and um, did not expect to win and I was lucky enough to win. And the prize was you basically get to skip the slush pile. So you could choose. There are a few publishers who uh, offered to do assessments and you the, the winner got to choose kind of their first pick. Um, and so I chose, chose UQP and Claire wrote a really detailed uh, and encouraging assessment. And as I said, there are, there are a few sort of suggestions and, and changes that she wanted to see um, before she put it forward. But once once I'd done that, it got mm. put forward and then the contract came out of that. Um, so competitions, I, I highly recommend. Um, yeah. Just because that. I hear you on that. It's all about the, uh, dead, like the deadline is so useful. Well, just having well, an artificial yeah. thing in front of you. Yeah. So even if, even mm. if you don't Amazing. even place, there's, you've, you've finished something because of a competition, that's a win as well. Yeah, completely. Yeah. Exactly. You can tick it off your list. Um, and how do you how do you write? Like how do you fit that practically into? You obviously have like additional kind of an additional working life in addition to picture books. Unfortunately, <laughs> picture books are not enough <laughs> not to live on. Um, like in in what kind of format do you structure your your working day? Yeah, um, what's well, it's changed? I think it's getting better in that my daughters uh, started four-year-old kinder now there's a few more hours in the day during the writing of this and a few other projects sort of back in 2020 I was writing at night so after she was in bed um which you know there are good and bad I mean you're you're compromising sleep but you are you've got this little mm. escape at the end of the day when you know you're not going to be interrupted so that worked for a time um but now I do sort of mix it up I do freelance I'm not full-time so I do have the luxury of a bit of time um but I do freelance and I juggle it I try to if I'm starting something new write first, as indulgent as that sounds, right, for a little bit of time, even if it's half an hour or an hour before the paid work, just because I find once you're in that other headspace, I'm a freelance editor and it's a lot more um, sort of forensic and a lot less in some ways creative. So I try and do a mm. bit of writing first, uh, particularly if I'm writing something longer that's harder to, that you need to keep up that momentum like a novel um, mm. and, yeah, and get myself and just do a little bit each day. So that's so every workday, bit of writing and then into the work just keeps me in touch with it and ma makes yeah. it easier to go back to as well. I'm always fascinated with hearing the way that people work because, like, I kind of I'm always trying to find some pearls of wisdom me that too, I, can, yeah. I can steal. But I absolutely hear you that, um, you know, if you're working at the same desk that you're working on for your day job, which both of us do, it's, it's very hard to, um, I feel also that I get into this kind of analytical um, editing mode if I try to then write at the same time and then I edit myself into oblivion because yeah. I say it's all crap. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I totally, totally hear you on that one. Um, just one more question about, about the whole publishing process. This is your first book. So is there anything that surprised you about about the process of bringing a manuscript to publication? Um, 
I think I was surprised initially that uh, I would have any involvement in, in getting to choose the illustrator or in being involved in that decision. Um, and Bryony had done work with, with UQP before, so um, she was someone they put forward and knew would do a great job. Um, but I, I sort of thought they would decide that and I would just be told. So that was a really nice process, even getting to have those discussions mm. and see kind of early work. Um, and, I mean, I always knew from from friends and from having previously worked uh, in a different part of publishing how long a picture book takes to, to put together. So it probably shouldn't have surprised me how long that process took, but I think when you're in it and it's your book and it's your one book and you're waiting yeah. for every, you know, step of it, yeah. um, it feels really long. And there's long gaps where it's completely out of your hands and then there'll be a flurry of, you know, edits or a flurry of decisions. Yeah. Oh, it's absolutely beautiful. Um, Massive congrats again on it. It's um beautiful book. Um, at the end of this podcast, I think we'll talk about where where it can be gotten. Um, yes. But basically all good bookstores, any bookstore in their right mind, I'm sure would love this beautiful book and love to have it on their shelves. So well done, Cassie. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. And it's been really nice. Um, we have a lovely group online. It's been really nice sharing this with you and with, with others, the, you know, from the critiquing process and finding out about each other's projects early on and seeing all the successes that we've had. So um, so you had a yes. beautiful um, na- nature-themed book too, Natropolis, um, which was out first. But the mm-hmm. book that you are talking about today is The Sydney Harbour Ferry, which is a very different book. Can you tell us the elevator pitch yeah, for that? It definitely is. Um, okay, so it's about a little girl called Charlie and Charlie is going with her nana for a girl's day out. They'll have high tea, watch the ballet, smell flowers and visit the Sydney Harbour Ferry. Charlie does not like the sound of a girl's day out and she especially hates fairies. But the Harbour Fairy isn't quite what Charlie expected and her day with Nana just got so much better, dot, dot, dot. It's such, <laughs> it's such a cute and, and fun idea. How did the story come about? Oh, thank you. Um, look, it's a bit of a funny one. I, I actually think the title, spoiler alert, title is a bit of a giveaway. Um, there's a big pun in the title, which is um, fairy and fairy, and the Sydney Harbour Fairy reference in the title actually turns out to be a Sydney Harbour Fairy. Um, I don't think that's giving anything away. And I, it literally started with that title, which um, in turn I think started with a, a trip that my family um, had done up to Sydney. We live in Melbourne, but um, we'd been up to Sydney in early 2021. And at the time um, my daughter was not quite four and um we kept saying to her, we'd, we'd tried to kind of pipe her up about doing all the different kind of touristy things in Sydney. And we've been like, we're going to go see the ferries at Circular Quay and like it'll be really, really cool. And um, eventually we got there and she was super disappointed. And um, it became clear after a while that she thought that we were going to see the ferries at Circular Quay. Um, and so, I mean, that was absolutely adorable. <laughs> um, and so that became a bit of a running joke. And I just started, like, I just kind of kept it in my head. And I thought that's a really interesting concept for a story because um fairies at the time were like one of these things that I just noticed this whole like pink culture fairy culture um you know for for, especially for little girls um being so prevalent like I just I remember just walking into um you know like the BW's kind of book section type thing, the discount department type thing, and, and just being like, wow, you can see how clearly these books are, like they've dumped a whole lot of pink fairy books over here and a whole lot of like vehicle books over here. And it really frustrated me just being aware of that um, that real gendering of, of stories, which, you know, just doesn't make any sense to me because I don't think stories have a gender. Um, so I think it kind of yeah. all started brewing together in my mind together um, but really, look, the starting point was the title. The It was the Harbour Ferry to start with. It was Sydney Harbour Ferry and it kind of grew from that. Yeah, I love that. And the, the misheard 
and mispronounced kind of words of kids is just a whole oh, um, goldmine of stories. I just feel, I steal all my story ideas from my kids. Like one day they're going to be adults <laughs> and they'll be like, hey, mum. Like, Where's my royalty? <laughs> yeah, completely. <laughs> um, and we've, we've talked a bit of, uh, before about how it's it's probably or possibly significant that we both wrote these stories during lockdown that are set in other places, not Melbourne. Yeah. Um, so can you tell us a bit about the, the role that Sydney plays? I mean, you told us about your visit there, but your personal connection there. Yeah. Um well, I'm actually I'm actually a Sydney girl, so I moved to Melbourne 13 years ago. Does that make me still a Sydney girl, or I don't know? Um, um, so, like, that's always kind of um, been in my consciousness that we're frequently going to and from Sydney. Um, I guess there's an element of kind of touring Sydney Harbour um, in this book, where um, you know, Circular Quay is the major setting. Um, the Botanical Gardens is the setting. The Opera House is the setting. Um, so, and, and that's the whole kind of framework of the girls' day out, of Charlie going out for a day with her nana. So, I guess um, it probably was influenced by the fact that um, you know I'm from Sydney, but I'm constantly bringing my family, and we live in Melbourne, back to Sydney to tour, like yeah. um, you know, to go do all these kind of touristy things. So, yeah, um, yeah I guess I think I think that probably played into it a bit. And how did, did the lockdowns affect your writing process? Do you think that had there been no pandemic, you would have written completely different <laughs> stories? And did it make you write more? Yeah, it's a really good question. So um, I had a baby in 2020. So my son was born in 2020. So I think that probably coloured um, coloured my experience of lockdown more than anything. I definitely, um, I definitely didn't write as much during lockdown as I wanted to, um, but also... I think, you know, I, I think, I think, you know, we're all just trying to survive at that point, I guess. Um, and it's a really interesting question to ask if, if the lockdowns coloured um, the themes of what I was writing, because um, after this, the, the next picture book, which I'll have out in early 2024, is a book, um, it'll be out with Heidi Grant. It's a book about a cat that lives on a truck and travels around Australia. Um, so, and now I think about it, I'm like, well, that was also written in, um, you know, in, um I guess between lockdown so you know maybe there is something weirdly subconscious going on with you know yeah. pandemic books pandemic babies are a thing maybe pandemic books are a I thing. think definitely there's yeah. um and there's an element probably of, of therapy and aspiration and everything yeah. in there <laughs> and this book it is a really fun story but your writing has a really lovely rhythm too which makes it a really great read aloud I think parents are going to enjoy reading that one and not mind when it gets picked up repeatedly um and one of the things that comes through really vividly <laughs> is is charlie's voice so with each new thing she encounters she makes lists so for example when they see the fairy her observation is she has clanking bolts a rope unfurling and an engine like a giant metal heart so with those little descriptions and that sort of rhythmic way of, of writing there's sort of a repetition of those lists throughout um was that there from the beginning mm. or was that something you developed yeah yeah it started i mean i guess the genesis of this book was the the punny title but um the second thing was charlie's voice like that was um that's what kind of made me keep writing um so i have no idea where that came from she's really um she sees the world in terms of lists she's really analytical um but it made it really fun to write because um you know even when you know when when writing feels hard um writing a list feels quite easy mm. so um you know, and, and the, the whole thing isn't list, but um, just using that kind of almost as a structural element um, made it really easy to get into yeah. for me. Um, 
So yeah. And it's really it is really evocative too because it's just a few words, but it shows you both her voice and and the that sort of wonder again at what you're seeing, like that way of describing mm. a fairy as almost like a living thing with a heart and you know, it's um, it adds yeah. it, it's a it's I guess like poetry is it's a way of saying a lot in a few words. So it's a really nice tactic. And yeah, we talked about the commonalities between these these really different books. Another sort of thread I think that's woven between the two of them is that sense of a, a child's imagination and the illustrations um, in, the, in their own right give us glimpses into Charlie's imagination in the Sydney Harbour Ferry with um, images of shoes and cardboard monsters and the fairy that pop up on each page, like sort of fun little little um, things to find, which I imagine as you're reading the story, the kids will look for them on each page. Some, some are <laughs> hidden and some are a bit more obvious. So can you tell us about the illustration process and whether that was something you added or that was Kate's input? No, that was um, that was Kate pretty much. Um, so I think the only illustration notes um, that I put in were um, <laughs> the note that obviously the fairy turns out to be a fairy. Um, and then <laughs> the final scene, I added a note because... Um, Charlie and Nana end up having some burgers on the way home and we had to be clear with that. But then, um, yeah, Kate took the manuscript and injected this amazing kind of surreal, imaginative layer of um, of kind of Charlie's imagination onto every page. Um, you know, like she's turned the page where Charlie's imagining that she, you know, Charlie's wishing that she had a burger instead of this dainty little high tea and um, the people at the next table have giant burgers for heads. Um, and it's these kind of really strange additions that um, that Kate added that I think really make it. Um, and I think I'm hoping that that will kind of add longevity, you know, to the book and allow people to read it, you know, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten times. Um, it was also quite, I guess, in a way, it was quite collaborative. So um, there's a scene where um, Nana takes Charlie to the ballet and um, and my original line was that um, it has dances in puffs of pale material. Um, I think it was like pretending to die or something. But um, Kate drew the illustration um, as clearly Swan Lake. Um, and so the, ba the ballerina is the clearly Swan Lake, but she's also drawn a giant swan um, that is about to eat the head off someone in the in the yeah. seat in front and I went okay let's well, clearly swan lake so I changed the line to um eat as dancers in puffs of pale material pretending to be ducks which um yeah. which yeah which I thought was a good way to show that a Charlie hasn't entirely gotten the grasp of um being impressed <laughs> by swan lake but also kind of um you know kind of really ties in the images and the text together so yeah it was quite a quite a fun process um yeah, just there was there was a lot of kind of um, back and forth and tweaking um, because Kate had injected this amazing point of view into it. Yeah. So yeah, and that's something that's that is obviously unique to picture books is that um, interplay that it's not just the illustrator interpreting. Sometimes it does it even slightly change the story or or give it a different dimension. Yeah. yeah. I was going to say, did you find with Bryony that you ended up um, changing any of the text after she'd done her thing? Yes, um, yeah, there's one spread in there in the middle that is a, it's a wordless spread and it's where Isla and her mother are admiring the Northern Lights. So I had a line in there about because, I mean, that was one of my wonder sparky moments was that this place has these incredible, um, you know, green lights that, that come out in, in um, the winter solstice. And so that was definitely mentioned in there, but it was like one line. So when Bryony illustrated, the editor actually came back and said, like, we love this illustration. Is there any way, you know, would you be okay with us doing just a wordless spread in the middle? And I said, absolutely. And yeah. I also changed to make them a bit more of a character. So there's, um, she loses something at one point and the lights mm. sort of become how she finds it again. So I, yeah. so I definitely gave them a bit more breathing room when I saw um, what, yeah, what an amazing illustration that was. 
because they're they're beautiful I actually like that that really took my breath away with that particular spread um because it's just almost like the big kind of you know yeah. high point of the whole book um and the bit of it the bit of the added dramatic tension at that point um it really yeah. underlines it we've talked a little bit about writing processes already but, uh, but tell us about yours you've got two kids you've got a day job as a copywriter you've got two books out and at least two more on the way that we know about <laughs> so how do you fit it all in when do you write how do you decide which one to work on next uh, so look, I I knew you'd go to I knew you were going to ask me this question, and I just wrote lol in my notes. I I'm <laughs> my my idea of um method and and logic is um just not to have any. <laughs> so um I I wish I was a bit more structured. Um yeah. So I mean I I tend to just kind of write in verse. I think it's the reason why I kind of really just have been drawn to picture books because it's something that I feel like I can I can hold the whole thing in my head at one go um but I feel like to write something longer I probably need a lot more structure and discipline so um I literally um work on picture book ideas um in mostly in a single burst sometimes um I frequently will just write a single draft at one go um from from go to woe and then just tinker with it for a bit um I don't really know how to work on anything longer. I would love some tips because I'd love to write middle grade or something one day. (laughs) I think plenty of people would love your tips on how to, even to get the story arc of a picture book all down in one go, (laughs) to have something to tinker with is... I actually actually think that I I do think that it's because, like, I've been working as a copywriter for however many years and, like, frequently the, the format for that is, like, you've got eight words to convey whatever. So... I'm really comfortable mm. with saying things quickly and short. I'm much yeah. less comfortable with someone saying, hey, you've got, you know, here's 40,000 words, <laughs> just fill it up. Yeah. Um, that strikes terror into my heart. So, yeah, maybe I've just found the right the right format and genre. Yeah, well, <laughs> it definitely it definitely is working for you. And uh, the other thing I wanted to ask, your your books are very diverse too. You're, you're not, I'm stuck in my Norway theme, but you have written books about <laughs> You know, Natropolis was all about the nature that you can discover in in urban landscapes. We've just talked about the Sydney Harbour Ferry. We've got a cat travelling around Australia. Um, <laughs> I don't know if you're allowed to talk about your fourth fourth picture book mm. yet, but they're very different books. So, do you think? Do you just go with what strikes you? Do you think you are, are finding your way to a theme, or do you think you are just captivated by different things and you'll always write quite broadly? Yeah, so I mean, even even the manuscripts that I have in various degrees of completion on my computer now, like I can't detect a theme. Um, it's possibly because I keep stealing ideas from my kids, and my kids are fairly unpredictable. So um, yes, <laughs> do you want to do you want to talk a bit about um, about what else you're working on and the the continuation of your Norway theme in your other work? Yeah, I um I I do like the idea of of writing a, around something, a topic, or a feeling, or a place until you've said all you have to say, and then you move on to the next thing. Um, so I don't. This mm. might be all. Yeah, you've got you've got more to say. Though, I've got more this. to say about <laughs> Norway. More Norway um, so I I have just finished uh, a, a middle grade and and submitted it to a competition that is uh, so it's a middle grade novel about um that is also set in northern Norway. Um, I don't know, I, I sort of don't like to talk about things too deeply when I'm still working on them because I feel like it's going to drain some of the the, yeah. the, insight, the excitement out don't, of it. Yeah, but um, but the, the themes yeah. that are in there, I guess, once again, it's, it's a place that made an impact on me partly because of when I went there. So some of those ideas um, of, you know, discovering the world is a big place, meeting people kind of outside your experience and how that opens things up for you, um, that sort of came back into there, as well as the landscape's very much in there again because it's set in that town in northern Norway that I um, lived in for a little bit, which is the 
Um, so it's at the top of Norway, but not nearly as far north as Svalbard. Um, so I've just finished that. I, I did a, an ASA mentorship, an Australian Society of Authors mentorship to finish that, which was great to have that encouragement and someone to check in with. And I honestly don't know that I would have got it to that stage on my own. And it just showed me I can finish something too. So I have, yeah. I think it'll be a completely different experience if I do something like that again. But I, I know now I can at least, I've got a beginning, I've got a middle, I've got an end and I've got a kind of process to get there. Yeah, right. Well, I'm I'm looking forward to reading that when it's um published at some point too because you're also going to need to go do some kind of tour to Norway. I, I think. think I'll have to <laughs> or a residency or something. That would be the dream. <laughs> a residency would yeah, do. Yeah, yeah, that would be amazing. Can I can I come? Yes, <laughs> I'll have to write some Norway themed books. That would be amazing. Um, and I guess the the other question that I think we probably need to ask is Danny so kindly has given us this this time to take over words and nerves is um one something that she always asks, which is why do you write? Yeah, it's a I love hearing people's answers to this too. Um, I have always written. It's it's always sort of the one consistent job that I wanted to do. And I, you know, I studied at uni, I worked in publishing, I worked in a bookshop. I've always sort of found myself drawn kind of back to words and books. But I think for a long time I didn't know how to to turn that into writing a kind of a coherent story with an arc and with a beginning, yeah. middle and end myself. Um, but now that I, I feel like I've found a little bit of a groove, it's it's also that, that sort of cliche of, you know, having kids of your own and remembering how exciting uh, reading kids' books was and, and reading them to your kids so you're in that world again that maybe made me switch from the kind of uh, sort of adult and way um, writing I was doing. So there was all of that. But but I find now if I ever stop, for example, if I have a run of rejections and just want to give up, I stop for like a week and then I just feel like no one's asking me to do it clearly, but yeah. I feel that pull yeah. to go back to it. So it, it feels like a yeah. compulsion a bit like something yeah yeah I don't I don't think it's an uncommon story I think um writing is one of those things that um it certainly doesn't pay unless you're unless you're lucky enough to be that 0.5 percent so something else is going to be pulling you to do it I guess but tell us tell us what you're working on next can you tell oh um so well I um there is another picture book about to kick off into production um that I mentioned that will be out with Hardy Grant in early next year um, I have uh, another picture picture book that is signed also with a firm um, that published this is publishing the Sydney Harbour Ferry, um, and that book will be out in twenty twenty four also. Um, in the meantime, I have a whole bunch of manuscripts that are kicking around looking for a home. So, um, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, is that enough? <laughs> yeah, I, think so. um, yeah. I did. I didn't get to ask why you write. Oh my goodness. Why do you write? Oh, that's a really good question. I do feel like it's a direct, um, there's a direct relationship between how much I read and how much I write. I tend to go through dry mm. patches of writing and dry patches of reading too, especially since having kids, um, because time is such a, such a premium. So um, I find that in a way, once I read something amazing that I think is beautiful and, and moves me, I it makes me go back to the computer and write. So um i think i'm just easily influenced probably but that's good it doesn't intimidate you then no 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 just, writing forever you know you just kind of look at things and go wow look at what's possible just with words or, or words and pictures yeah. um and that's why it's great to um that's why we're all addicts of podcasts like this and love listening totally. to all the stories because everyone has their own motivations totally yeah hearing about yeah processes and and tips and techniques mm. there's something addictive about that. yeah completely I've I'm a bit of a I'm a bit of a writing um podcast addict I tend to procrastinate by listening to podcasts about writing rather than writing so 
Um, sorry if I've contributed to that for anyone today. <laughs> sorry to make you procrastinate. <laughs> and on that note. Um, but hopefully you learned something or laughed at our, um, our <laughs> learner podcast. Yes, crossed. Hopefully we didn't crash the car. Um, so on that note, big thank you to, to Danny B for letting us take over today. Um, Cassie, where can we find out more about the garden at the end of the world? Um, it's, you can find it in good bookstores, as you mentioned. Um, I have a, uh, website that also has L plates, which is Cassie, Cassie <laughs> Um, and I'm mostly active on Instagram, Cassie underscore dot Amazing. Cool. And do you know the Sydney Harbour Ferry, um, is out from April the 26th, um, at all good bookstores. Um, and you can find out, um, more info sort of on my website I'll have to update my website at www.deborahfrenkel.com d-e-b-o-r-a-h-f-r-e-n-k-e-l um I'm on Instagram too at Deb Does Words. so thanks I love your Instagram handle classic <laughs> thanks Cassie good <laughs> great, to chat great to chat to you okay and, chat uh, soon. see you in critique group totally bye